foreheads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be able to do this thing that you've anointed for us to come together like this as your children, uh, separate from the world, and learn your word and learn how to think like your precious son. Father, we're forever grateful for your sending your son for us out of heaven to become a man so that we have our sin completely taken care of and we thank you for giving us the faith to accept the judgment you placed upon him on our behalf. Father, we ask that you bless this message. You guide the speaker and those listening through your spirit. Help us understand the things that you have for us tonight. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Part 9. So keep this uh, title in mind here as we branch off a little bit from the subject and talk about things like forgiveness. And there's a very important connection here where we'll start with this example just to think about. Looking at the title on the board, we rejoice that nothing can separate us from the love of God, don't we? I mean, we, that's, oof, that's our anchor, that's our hope, that's everything right there, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet we have to ask ourselves, when someone wrongs us, do we hold back forgiveness, in essence, holding back love? It's really what you do when you hold back forgiveness, you hold back love. So who are we to hold back love when we enjoy the security of God's love for ourselves? You know, it reminds me of the parable of the slave who was forgiven by the king of this huge debt. He was on his hands and knees and the king forgave him and then he wouldn't forgive his brother a, a piddly debt that he owed him. May we never be like that guy. Um, so think about it. When you hold back forgiveness, you hold back love. And yet you're the very same person, I speak about all of us, who cling to that promise on the board right there, even when we fail God. So just something to think about if you're holding back full forgiveness and holding on to bitterness and resentment. And to top it off, you're the one that's suffering by holding back or holding on to things. If we're going to put God's love into practice, forgiveness is a major part of doing this, according to the scriptures. So turn again to Matthew 6.14. We'll start here this evening with a very uh, stark reminder from God. If you're going to say that you live in God's love, you better be willing to practice forgiveness. Matthew 6.14 For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And as we talked about on Sunday, this doesn't mean that God takes away your salvation as a believer. That's always been a gift granted to those who humbly turn to His Son. Jesus was talking about experiential forgiveness here 
But nonetheless, this is a very serious statement on the board. If you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. And we are outside the sphere of God's love if we don't forgive others. There's no way around that. You can say you're living in the love of God all you want, but when you hold back and you, you, you cling to past deeds done against you and live in resentment, something's missing in your heart at that point. That's a place we never want to be spiritually. It's a very lonely place for you. And again, you're the one that suffers. It's a funny thing about forgiveness. We'll get to this a little bit later on, but you're the one that suffers. Even though you were the one that might, let's say you were wronged by someone, when you hold back forgiveness, you're the one that suffers. It's pretty ironic, even though you're the quote-unquote innocent party. Also recall from Sunday, forgiveness is to be experienced as a blessing from both sides of a disagreement, uh, if there's willingness involved, that is. And the Spirit brought this out for us to think about on Sunday on the board. It's actually a sin not to forgive a person, especially for someone like you who knows it's the right thing to do. We just saw Matthew 6.15, and we see that also in James 4.17. Our flesh wants to say, yeah, but it's their fault. And maybe it is, 99%. But now, once you've been sinned against, you're the one on the clock. And there's no way around that. Isn't it funny how God kind of puts us on the spot through testing like this to apply, to live out the things we claim to believe? When you've been sinned against, you're the one on the clock now, like it or not. And it's by God's grace that we go through this, by the way. Totally by God's grace that we go through this, because He can help us see if we're living a lie or not. You know, if we claim one thing and honestly believe another thing. And then if we need, and by the way, this is like a cycle of life, isn't it? And then we repent when we see we're not living in that thing we claim to believe, and we go back to it. We go by faith and hopefully live it out by faith. But it's by God's grace that we get to go through these kind of things, like being hurt, like, like the exercise of the practice of repent, uh, forgiveness. And all of us do this from time to time. We're on either side of the equation from time to time, if we're honest. That's life. And God helps us grow up into a mature man of God and an ambassador for Christ. That's how he does it, through testing. If we're willing, we will grow up and become a mature man and bring him more glory with our lives. So God might be saying, do you really love me? Okay, what will you do with so-and-so? Do you really love me? All right, well, he's one of mine also. Let's say they're a believer that sinned against you. The rubber really meets the road when we've been wronged, or we think we've been wronged. Usually there are two sides, uh, two guilty sides in some way. But on the board, when forgiveness is needed in a relationship, that's truly where the rubber meets the road regarding the love of Christ in our lives. I don't know if there's a greater test uh, of God's love than when you've been wronged and you have to 
forgive somebody. So is God's love active in us? Is it alive in us? Uh, are we abiding in his sphere of love? Or are we just loving ourselves and fooling ourselves? Turn again to James 4.17. James 4.17. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to know if I've been off in a certain area and deceiving myself in a certain area. Even though it's painful, I want to know. I just want to be able to, whatever, repent and go forward in, in it rather than keep fooling myself. Is there anything worse than fooling yourself? And we all do it from time to time, different areas of our spiritual walk. James 4.17, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And remember, by definition, sin means to miss the mark. I love that. That, that we, we know that's what God is referring to there because it, it shows that, for example, a halfway forgiveness is not really forgiveness at all. You're still missing the mark that God has in mind, which is total forgiveness. You know, no strings attached on the board. When we hold on to things, we miss the mark of God's forgiveness. The Spirit also brought an, an interesting perspective on Sunday that we, we can and probably should look at forgiveness as a weapon in the spiritual fight. As a weapon in the spiritual fight. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Romans chapter 6. Even though it looks like it's against flesh and blood. After all, it was that person that just stared you in the face and said whatever. It was a person, flesh and blood, right? But really, if we step back and look above it all, it's not really against flesh and blood. It's against spirits. For example, a spirit that motivated that person to do something evil. You see, like there's something beyond what we see. So how will we defeat the attacks of wicked forces who have attacked us and the one who has wronged us, by the way? How about wielding forgiveness as a weapon to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one? You know, almost like a fire hose, if you want a visual. I mean, it's going to extinguish it. That's the power of forgiveness. If you've ever been through it in your life and either you've honestly forgiven someone or someone honestly forgave you, the cleanliness of the feeling that you experience, the... Um, the freshness, the fresh start that you have when there's true forgiveness that takes place, there's nothing like it. It's so refreshing. And that's what we can do in this spiritual battle. Let's not, not let Satan take advantage of us and fool us by his schemes, which include holding grudges. You and I have a choice, and we've been given God's power. And if we're humble, we'll use it. On the board, think about this. You have the possibility to overcome evil with good. In Romans 12, 21. Not by your own power, but you've been given the power of Christ, the love of Christ, to overcome evil with good. How awesome is that in this day of all these superhero movies? You literally in the spiritual realm are fulfilling something supernatural when, when you do this kind of a thing. And in heaven, it'll be, you know, made visible to all.
It's a supernatural thing that you have the power to accomplish by grace, if you're willing, to overcome evil with good in this horrible world. And it's very good to forgive. Remember our series on what is good and who gets to define it? Well, forgiveness is very good in God's eyes. Loves it. Loves when His children operate in it instead of play tit for tat or, or hold back love. So this is from the God of mercy, let's not forget, that forgave all of your sins. And so we have to examine our own hearts before the Lord. This came out on Sunday as well in similar words on the board. Forgiveness acts graciously. We may need to repent towards God, and then as a forgiven, selfless person, someone abiding in Christ's love, we are willing to bear another's burdens, even their weakness or inability to take the high road. So let's say someone sinned against you, and they should be taking the high road, they should be at least apologizing, but they're too weak, or they're too immature, or whatever's going on. Well, it's an opportunity. Forgiveness, again, is an interesting thing. It's often the quote-unquote innocent person reaching out to the guilty. It's often the offended person that has to take the first uncomfortable step in love. But you're on the clock when you're sinned against. It's a test from the Lord. Not a bad way to look at it. So again, on the board, we may need to repent towards God of, for example, lack of forgiveness in our own heart. And then as a forgiven, selfless person, someone abiding in Christ's love, we are willing to bear another's burdens, even their weakness or inability to take the high road. Go again to Galatians 6, 2. Are you willing to take the high road yourself? And love's the only thing that can help us there. The love of Christ is the only thing that can empower us to do so. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. How awesome is that that you and I even have a chance to fulfill the law of Christ? And how is it done? By bearing one another's burdens. Forgiveness. In love, even if wronged, we might approach another who is guilty to bear their burdens and their weakness. Yeah, it's difficult sometimes, but it's usually only difficult because our pride is getting in the way. And we're not to approach someone who's weaker with a judgmental heart either. Like, ah, they're weak, they're a loser, or whatever as our flesh, you know, wants to rear its ugly head and, and, and play positioning and say we're a little bit better. The right attitude is they're your brother, they're your sister. And above all things, you want to see restoration no matter what it takes. That's the heart of Christ. So pray about it. <laughs> pray about it hard sometimes, right? When, when, when you're stuck in that thing called resentment, um, we need to really ask for his help and ask for him to shed light on the subject, particularly his love. 
the gracious person might say something like this. I apologize for my part in this. What do you think? Do you see that you've harmed me also? Again, taking that first step is tough. But is anyone truly totally innocent? Let's forgive each other and move past this. Life is too short to hold grudges. Let's start over. This is in the past. Another key emphasis of the Spirit on Sunday is this. Do we see how practical God is? Do we see how practical God is? And what does this mean, practical? Sometimes we might have an idea of what a word means, but not wholly. And that's why we might go home and consult the dictionary whenever we're not 100% sure about what a word means. So I say this because, for example, the Spirit is trying to get a point across to us through our pastor, right? And our pastor might use a word because it's the perfect word that gets a certain point across that the Spirit's trying to say to us. And we might think we know what it means, kind of know what it means. But honestly, if we don't know what it means, we might be missing part of the point. Practical might be the perfect word to use to describe a thought that the Spirit is trying to get to us. But if we're lazy, we're going to miss out on the point the Spirit's trying to make in our souls. So we go home, maybe we look up the verse for ourselves, or verses, and we go to the dictionary maybe and look up the word practical, if we're not 100% sure what it means, or whatever the word is that is coming forth. So let's go to the dictionary and make sure we know what this word practical means on the board from Merriam-Webster Dictionary, practical, means of, relating to, or manifested in practice or action, not theoretical or ideal. A lot of Christians are theoretical or ideal, and it's all about, you know, thinking everything, but there's no doing that God wants you to do. You know, it's all like claiming the love of God but living for yourself. So practical, again, refers to practice or action, not theoretical or ideal. Number two, actively engaged in some course of action or occupation. Practical, capable of being put to use or account. Useful. You might see a tool or someone gives you a tool and you say, oh, that's practical. What are you saying? I could use that to do something good. So that's what the Spirit's been saying about the Lord and His plan, overall plan for us. It's extremely practical. We might say being practical is a willingness to put truth into action, a willingness to live something out in life. And in case we've been talking, or in this case rather, we've been talking about God's love and forgiveness in particular, living these things out, being willing to live these things out, to realize that they're not meant for us to hoard. They're meant for us to spread and to bring glory to God with with His power, with His love, with His forgiveness. So on the board, our God is a very practical God, so much so that He didn't just talk about love, but He sent His Son to die for us. God proved His love 
by his selfless actions for our well-being. That's very practical. It doesn't get any more practical. And so God wants us to live the same way. To actually live out his love towards others. Um, you might actually have to get in the, to, in the car and drive somewhere, as came up on Sunday. You might actually have to do something. <laughs> Go out of your way, your way, the things you want to do. Sometimes you just don't, quote-unquote, feel like it, but that's your selfish flesh saying, but I want to do this right now. I want, th- this was my plan. Don't interrupt my plan for my day. So it takes humility, doesn't it? It takes praying because those honest feelings, quote, you know, for whatever you want to call them, that come up within us, and it's so easy to put things off and I'll do it tomorrow, or someone else will take care of that person in need, even though I'm the one that God brought it to my attention. But God wants us to live it out like Jesus lived it out, lived out love. The Spirit of Christ says, whatever it takes, practice what you preach. Right? Practice what you preach. Practical. If people's lives are on the line, If there's dysfunction in the body that you can do something about or there's someone in need and it's within your power and it's been brought to your attention, why not pray about it and do whatever it takes? Step out by faith and trust God to give you the power to cover your back, etc. Which one will we choose to live in? Okay, for example, laziness or love? Selfishness or forgiveness? Which one do we choose to live in when we're presented an opportunity? Kind of like right there. Again, brought to your attention by the Holy Spirit for some reason, somehow. What will you do about it? Will you, will you, are you willing to pray about it and do whatever it takes? Because Christ did. Christ just did. How many days was he overwhelmed with the amount of people approaching him? Overwhelmed, crowds pushing against him. How tired do you think he was in his flesh as a man? And yet he, he kept going out in the midst of them. He said, look at the people. I was going to go do this thing, but look at all the people coming my way. They need me. And he would go to them instead. So Jesus lived out this thing called love for our example for our salvation, and for our example. He's our greatest example as he perfectly obeyed the Father's will all the way to the cross. And we talked about this on Sunday. God loves obedience. And God even demands obedience. As we know, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Colossians 3.6 Christ is the polar opposite. Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. In Hebrews 5.8 God the Father loves obedience. And we saw that in John 10, 17 through 18. Turn again to John 10, 17. God loves obedience. Why? Why does God love obedience? Well, think about it. What does it show, what does it show God when you do obey Him? When you choose to live in His 
commands. John 10, 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And Jesus, out of love for his Father, obeyed the commandment. He knew what his Father's wishes were. Now what do you do with it? We know our Father's wishes are that we forgive others without any strings attached. Now what do you do with it? Right? We might say on the board, obedience makes love practical. Obedience makes love practical. Without obedience, God's love isn't put into practice, is it? Without obedience, okay, God says, I'd like you to do A, B, and C. Without obedience, God's love isn't put into practice, actual doing, actual um, a show of gratitude, maybe. When we do something, when we obey God, it's a show of gratitude, it's a show of love to the Father that knows all things best for us. So just something to think about. Obedience makes love practical. What did the Lord say to us? If you love me, you will keep my commands. In John 14. In other words, if you don't keep my commands, how do you say that you love me? How do you say that you trust me even? On the board, Luke 6, 46 through 48 in the NIV. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And you know the rest of it. The humble, obedient person builds his house on the rock, who is Jesus Christ, who is love. That's what the humble person does. He actually does what he says he believes. Again, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? It doesn't make any sense. So Jesus says our actions reveal where our heart is. On the board, God is practical. Our God is very practical, a very practical God. And he has expectations regarding the one thing that keeps us inside the sphere of peace and love, obedience. See, we don't realize it from our human, you know, fleshly point of view. How does obedience keep us in the sphere of love? You know, that doesn't make sense to the natural mind of man. But <laughs> it does from the spiritual point of view. He has expectations regarding the one thing that can save us, quote-unquote, deliver us in time, obedience. Because that's where we stay in the sphere, and we enjoy his peace and his love. Like a father-son relationship. Think how sweet the father-son relationship is when the son obeys the father. Think about how distracted and unpeaceful the father-son relationship is when the, when the little boy is a little brat. And disobeys over and over. Peace, no peace. 
makes all the difference in the world. This is a relationship we have with God. And we want his peace, but we want it on our own terms. So God's very practical. He's like, this is how it's done. If you do this, I'm telling you it works. I'm telling you it works. God's plan for us includes fruit bearing, producing fruit in our lives. That's very practical. That's one reason God saved us. Our purpose is to bring him glory with our lives on this earth in this short time we're here. And think about this. He doesn't do anything in us that's useless. Everything has a purpose or a reason. It's all very useful because the power of his word and his spirit is far from impotent. So you're changed. You're made a new creature at salvation. And God literally comes to live inside of you. That can't result in nothing good unless you're stubborn and arrogant and selfish. Unless you're disobedient and therefore you can't see the blessings God wants you to see. He has saved us for the purpose of bringing glory to him with our lives. And that includes living in the love of Christ. Living in it. You can't hoard it. If you hoard it, you're not living in it. You're not living it out as he's designed us to do. It's so simple and so true and so practical. This is what, you know, we're here for. It doesn't get much more complicated. And to add to this, as the Spirit's been bringing up, God is helping us see things straight, to see life correctly as he designed it. And this is what allows us to live out our lives with his power in his love. He's helping us see straight. And that's the, we need his help, right? Every day. That's what sanctification is all about. So instead of always changing things from without, God promises to sanctify us from within. He doesn't just change that which we see. He does something much more magnificent. He changes our eyesight. He changes our very eyesight to see spiritual things, spiritual phenomena. He has to change our eyesight so that we can see what's already in front of our face. There are things, there are relationships, there are people. There are things going on that he wants us to see that right now we don't see. That goes for all of us to a certain degree. And he wants to change our eyesight so we see even the blessings that are right under our nose. That we're just kind of looking the wrong way. And when this came up, all I could think of was gratitude for his blessings that we already have. On the board, we might cry out to the Lord in wisdom, open our eyes, Lord, open my eyes. We already have so many blessings in our lives, but unless we pause and think about them and even list them, which the Spirit had us do a few years ago, if you remember, unless we do that, they elude our spiritual eyesight. The Word daily reminds us of all His goodness toward us. Thus the importance of the Word implanted every day, somehow, some way. Again, Lord, open our eyes. We already have so many blessings in our lives, but unless we pause and think about them and even list them, they elude our spiritual eyesight. The Word daily reminds us of all His goodness toward us, as in James 1.17. 
All good things are from our Heavenly Father above, the Father of lights. But we need to be reminded, we need Him to open our eyes. And who does He do that for? The humble, right? He gives grace to the humble more and more. It's a daily process, though. Sanctification. So God's Word and Spirit opens our eyes, wakes us up, even gives us simple reminders along the way, like, look, look down, look up. You're missing it. But without the Word, you're not going to get those directions. You're not going to get that 2020 spiritual vision He wants you to have. So we can see all the grace gifts He's already given us. <clears throat> and then, guess what? You live in His love more. Why? Because you're grateful. I mean, it's like, just a circle. So as we've been noting, it's the person who's humbly willing to do the Word of God that's going to be blessed. And there's no way around that. This was another big emphasis on Sunday. There are no shortcuts, remember. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, you'll be blessed. Not rocket science. In fact, only the humble can fulfill that command. Only the one willing to humble himself before the Lord can fulfill and enjoy the result of obedience. The only question is, are we humble enough or even to believe his word and follow him? Or do we keep just doubting and living in the doubt, not squashing it? It's really back to humility versus arrogance. So we saw another visual of this, a wonderful visual of this on Sunday with my main man Zacchaeus. Turn again to uh, Luke 19.1. My brother from another short mother. <laughs> oh yeah, he climbed that tree though. He was willing. Luke 19.1. So what a visual this is. This was great because this is spiritually what God has in mind for us in seeking him. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. So there we see Zacchaeus doing whatever he needed, looking intently at the perfect law, who in this case was the very word in a person, in the flesh. He climbed up into the sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. If you seek him, you will find him. A great visual. This is what God's after in our hearts. If we honestly seek Him, like Zacchaeus, going out of our way, and I was looking intently, rather than going through religious motions, then you're going to find Him to a, to a different degree than you have now. And there's infinite degrees of finding Him and knowing Him before we die. Infinite. But it's given to the humble. And honestly, a lot of days we're not humble. I can speak for myself. Some days I do my religious duty reading my Bible. And hopefully I catch it. And I repent and I 
look intently at the perfect law. How many days are we humble enough to truly seek Him, to get out of our own way and climb a tree? You know, the analogy. Or we want to stay in our religious games, being satisfied with checking the box, as we know. That's a question for every single one of us every single day. But the promise is, if you seek, you will find. If you obey Him, He will bless you. And it's that simple. And the faith of a child will receive it. James 1.25. Go to James 1.25 again. There are no shortcuts. There's no way around this. And thank God for that. He's not a God that plays games. He's very practical. And His promises come true. If you do this, I will do that. James 1.25 But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Very straightforward. Think about it. God blesses us when we live in His Word, when we practice it. The Word says, someone who hears the Word but doesn't practice it is a pretender. The Word of God is designed to be used in the dynamic battlefield called life. It's designed to be used as a weapon. Ephesians 6. Use it. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Remember that? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. What do you do with a sword? You don't keep it in the sheath. God's given us this stuff to live life in a dynamic way and bring Him tremendous glory. Even you, who don't think you can. Remember, we're called to be useful to the Master for every good work. Useful. Practical. That was one of the definitions of practical. Look at James 1.26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. There's the gum flapper. But, in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You see, there's doing that is necessary. There's no such thing as a spiritual couch potato. Because you can't be spiritual if you're a couch potato. You're like inactive. The spiritual life is, again, it's a dynamic thing that God has designed for us to live out in love. On the board, as James wrote, the person who earnestly desires God's word and to do his will, to him goes the blessings. For example, supernatural peace. Supernatural peace. Beyond your comprehension. He wants us to enjoy it. But only the obedient get that. Receive that. As we begin to close our lesson, let's talk about God's blessings for those who humbly live in obedience to His commands. Turn again to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. God's blessings to those who humbly live in obedience. 
We see it over and over throughout Scripture. I'm going to give you a few Scriptures <clears throat> as we uh, go on tonight. And I want you to see in this passage not only the Lord's obedience to His Father, which is ridiculous, perfect in every way, but I want you to see the blessings that resulted in His life as a man, not as God, as a man. Look at Philippians 2.8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you see the promotion he got due to his obedience in verse 8? It says in verse 9, For this reason also, that he obeyed the Father's plan, followed all the way through, didn't quit. For this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And so we have the great example of love in our Lord and Savior, practiced in obedience. And we're encouraged to obey also, seeing his wonderful example on how to live in love for others, very practically, very simple. Help someone. It can be as simple as that. Help someone when you know someone's in need. Or ask, ask for needs. When's the last time you asked the deacons in the church, who's got a need? Or what do you need help with? Or whatever. Like, who needs help? It's a choice, folks. God's designed us to live out this thing called love. And forgiveness. Look at Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. And it's at this point, we have to remember, God is perfect. He doesn't forget anything that you choose to do for Him and for His glory. He doesn't forget one thing. He doesn't forget any obedience or any sacrifice that you decide to make for His glory, for His purposes. He's not like a man in his weakness who will forget a kindness that's shown him. Sometimes we wonder in this world, especially when we do things for others, even people we love, will, will they appreciate this? Uh, that I'm, do they even know I'm sacrificing for them right now? And a lot of times we will be unappreciated. In our relationships with people, we're constantly let down. And that's why we can't have any expectations of people. But God, we should ne that thought should never enter our hearts when we consider God. You know, it's easy for our flesh, a fleshly point of view might say, I'm doing this for the Lord right now, but is he watching? Is he, is he going to remember this? Or like, does he even know? Like, does he even care? Like, that's our flesh, thinking ridiculously. But God's perfect. He's a perfect father who says, I'm not going to forget one thing, one little thing you do for me. And in heaven, there's going to be a record of it all. So on this note, turn to Hebrews 6, verse 9. 
Hebrews 6, verse 9. You know, if you humble yourself before the Lord and, and work for His good pleasure, I mean, God's the one at work and you're doing this stuff, but you have to be willing. And if you are, He's never going to forget what you do for His name. Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. He's not unjust like man. Ah, you know, you didn't do good enough there. Did you really finish that? No, you're not going to get any reward. Like, you know, he's not unjust like man. He's perfect. He's not going to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each of you, each one of you, show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Diligence, huh? Sounds like practice to me. Practice what you preach? We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Sounds good to me. I don't know about you, but I want full assurance. I don't want partial assurance. Like again, there's always different levels or places to go in His peace, as long as we're we're alive. So verse 12, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who does God bless? The man that's obedient to him, humbly obedient. Again, be imita- but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So true faith results in doing. May we never forget that. If a person really believes something is true, they act on it. And God's word says that's to your blessing. If you choose to believe my word and actually act on it, which is kind of the evidence that you believe it, you choose to do that thing, I'm going to bless you. Especially spiritually with things that you crave and you don't even know you crave, like supernatural peace, like love and contentment, knowing that he's with you and no one can separate you from the love of Christ. Let's see a few more verses on this idea that uh, your blessing comes from obedience. Uh, since we're in Hebrews Go to Hebrews 13, 17. We've seen this a couple times, but a little different emphasis. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. In other words, it's to your blessing when you humbly obey the authority. Obedience. And turn to John 13, verse 12. John 13, 12. Again, our point now is that, you know, God being perfect, He's not going to forget anything you do for His name. And He rewards those that humbly follow Him. Following takes doing. You know, when Peter left the boat, he dropped everything and followed him. He actually walked 
after him. John 13, 12. So when he, Jesus, had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, love and forgive others like I've done for you, to you. Verse 15, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. An example. Wonderful. That's all I want to see is an example, right? So you can follow it. I just gave you a simple, beautiful example of what love does. So as a child, faithful child, you can do, do the same if you want. If you want. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is, any, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. No way around it. You are blessed if you do them. Amen. Isn't it great that it's that simple? That is, this is not confusing. This is not something we have to figure out. He's like, will you with the faith of a child do what I do? Will you follow my example? Will you wash one another's feet? And may we never forget as part of our sanctification. It's the spirit that's producing all this goodness in us. Okay, It's not us. We can't do it on our own. We can't strive and force this. We have to pray and ask him to fill our sails and to direct us and empower us. And then we go forward by faith, right? you got to step out. You actually have to step out. You actually have to follow him. Then he does things with you and through you. So it's all the Spirit producing these things in us. Turn again to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Remember, it's always His work in us as He continually gives grace to the humble. That's a daily thing. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Notice the word performs its work in you who believe. On the board, we saw the word performs on Sunday from energeo. It means I work, am operative, am at work. Sounds like the definition for practical in the beginning. Uh, and made to work, accomplish. Middle voice, I work, display activity. So it's the word of God that does this through us who believe. There's our part in it, right? Faith, humility. So coming full circle as we close, the goodness of God's work in us being lived out practically begins with living in love. That same love that he promised to us for all eternity. The same love that we believers cannot be separated from. Living in that love. 
So let's love one another from the heart, as Scripture tells us to do, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're no longer who we were, you know? That's how we have to look at each other, despite our failures and faults and letting each other down. Let's love one another from the heart because we're Christ's own adopted children. So we'll close with this verse in 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Go to 1 Peter 1, 22. This is what Peter encourages us to do. Love one another from the heart. And you can't do that when you hold back forgiveness. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Notice in verse 22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls, for a sincere love of the brethren. Notice the connection again between obedience and love. Fervently love one another from the heart. So let's show one another the same grace the Lord has shown us. And love one another openly, honestly, and plainly, as we're meant to do. So let's go home tonight and rest on that thought. Pray about that and see what God does in your own heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how, how plain it is and how direct and practical your plan is for us. We thank you, Father, that this is not something confusing or that needs to be figured out, but something that is very there for us to obey or disobey. And we're grateful for that, Father. We thank you so much and we ask that you give us more humility and faith to go forward in your plan and to live out your love and to live out your forgiveness. All of your glory, Father, so, so we are not shown as those of the world, but those as, that are sons of the kingdom and that we bring glory to you in the face of Satan and all of his accusations. We ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring these things out to a lost and dying world that need to see these things so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name by the power of your spirit. Amen.